Hey, welcome to our podcast, Legends of Philadelphia. We're your host, I'm Tony Trove. This is my business partner and best friend, Johnny Zito. Hey. <laughs> oh, he let us. He let me talk the, this time. That's great. Time. Yeah, that's great. Oh man! And joining us, well, engineering dude is Brian Bierman. You might be asking, what are what makes these guys experts? Well, in addition to being Philadelphia natives, Johnny Zito and I have a T-shirt business called South Fellini that focuses on Philly culture and in jokes. Lots of times, our customers ask, "Hey, you know, what's the deal with a twinkly tile?" <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted to know what the word John means. So we decided to start this podcast as an easy explainer to new Philadelphians and a refresher for the old heads. The city fascinates us and excites us, so we hope to share that with you. There it is. Ooh, there that was, was a lot of energy in that one. No, I liked it. I That's thought right. it did great this time. This is great. That's right. Yeah, because you got to say hello. I didn't. Oh, did you well, get scared? What are you talking about? What, you... what? No, you got a chance. You just, you just blew it. No, I didn't. <laughs> it's called opportunity, and you blew it. So you know. Well, guess what? I get to talk more on oh, this one. This is the Brian Bierman episode. Yeah, the so fans I, demanded it. Sit, settle in. Here we go. Yeah, I know all those people that said they wanted this. Uh, the, the, Here it the, is. This is. We'll we'll see what you, see. See what you say in an hour. Yeah, this uh, is what's really like to hang out with Brian Bierman when he yeah, control, yeah. when he dominates the room. Yeah. Hey, you want to hear about wrestling? No. You hear okay, about wrestling? Well, no. Here, so, okay, here, watch this video. <laughs> the year is 1992. Uh, so this week, um, I I asked them if I could do an episode on uh, ECW, Eastern Championship Wrestling, more famously known, Extreme Championship Wrestling. I would say up there with pretzels as one of Philly's greatest exports. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am a hardcore wrestling fan. I went to Japan <laughs> this year to go to wrestling. Um, basically, uh, I mean, I did other stuff, but that was the main reason. Um, yeah, you also slept and ate things, but, uh, wrestling was it. Yeah, but mostly wrestling. New, new, new um, world wrestling. I'm a hardcore. New, new Japan wrestling. I was a huge fan as a kid, then like died out. As like a teenager, and then came about five years ago. Came back super hard, dude. Six With years. a vengeance, like Hulkamania, right? Like, like, like the yeah, Hulkamaniacs. Um, but uh, so uh, ECW, I kind of missed as a kid. What do you guys know about ECW? Uh, I knew it was near format four, but no. Swanson and Rittner. Yeah, I, just like kind of lawless down there. It, it make it kind of made sense that people were doing that. I, I remember when it was, but I never went to an, an event. Uh, I remember everybody it was like it was like uh, fans bring weapons. You bring like someone brought a Super Nintendo. So really showing what years this was. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that, that area was weird. It was a little lawless. I, I worked down there years ago too. The carpentry, uh, and I remember I met. Uh, Frank Bialois, a famous Philadelphia phantom, uh, at down mm. at Foreman Mills. He did, he did an autograph session. So <laughs> that's what I know about. The, <laughs> he did an the autograph session. Who, know at who that Mills? is will think that's so funny. What's that? But yeah, he, he did. Like they did. A, they set up an autograph thing with uh with like this <laughs> AHL hockey player that had a cult following in South Philly. That's a pretty you know, good and, get for Foreman Mills. That's what I'm saying, man. Like that's. 
Well, and what, the the blue meanie came from here too, right? Is that Beerman correctly? The, the, yes. The, the famous. He still lives around here. And, and I remember, like our, our friend in high school, like lived around him. He was like he was next to our neighbor, and we always thought really? that was really cool. Yeah. He was. I met him. I went to uh, um, a. Uh, he has a new podcast. I'll plug it. It's called Mind of the Meanie. That's a free plug, Meanie. Um, he's not listening, but uh, <laughs> one, he was at a bar one time that I went to for a, a mutual friend's uh, birthday and he was the first wrestler I ever met in real life. Oh, wow. And it was like, uh, I was very starstruck, but, um, yeah. What do you know? Zito? Uh, well, you know, Zito. <laughs> not too much. If, if I'm, if I'm remembering the peak was maybe around 95, is that too early? Um, that, yeah, like, a. uh, um, 95 is definitely when they started getting like super popular. I think, um, I think I was just a little more uh, than just like a local thing. I was just a little too young. I was still, I was still in mainstream wrestling as like a Saturday morning, <laughs> Monday night kind that, of thing. Yeah. And, That's, uh, but I do remember, I, I do remember it having a rep when I finally heard about it, it was already maybe over, but maybe that I, I, I knew about it or I, I was old enough to even go maybe by 99, 2000. And by then I guess was what the the attitude era in the WWE. Yeah. So and and then I guess w at the time, and again, I was just more like familiar with the mainstream. Everyone was was saying if you were cool, if you knew what you if you knew the inside deal with wrestling, you people were saying that everything that WWE was doing, they had stolen from uh, uh, ECW. Uh, that's what I remember. Yeah, that's kind of true. We'll we'll get into that in this, but um. Uh, I also want to say, because this is the first time I wrote one of these things, these are really hard to do. So, you oh, know, right. I, uh, <laughs> uh, oh. I don't get enough credit. Well, I, well, well. I was on record saying, you know, a, 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 a monkey could do this, but uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I was wrong. Well, uh, well, I appreciate that, and um, I didn't read the script in keeping with the tradition that we have. The tradition is the yeah, tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In keeping, you're doing my part, which is to do no work. <laughs> so, uh, I know you're talking about me because I'm not hosting or. <laughs> I want to do the pizza episode, but I just don't feel like it. Zuno's got to do it. <laughs> Zuno's voice is more soothing. He, he, like, he, he can talk for a while. Like I feel like Cage. I just got like, I'm like a boom. Here's one for you. No, no one wants that's, no one wants that, that all the, the in whole and out, hour. In and out. No one wants that the whole hour. I guess. Like a shiv. Like a shiv. <laughs> like a shiv, like a stabbing pain. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, let's get started. We got we got a lot. We got Speaking a lot of to stabbing about. pains. Um, I oh, guess man. if you are listening to this and you don't know what pro wrestling is, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you, number one, but I guess I would describe pro wrestling to me as like it's an art form that's like nothing like any other art form. It's like there's types. It's you like said fighting to me before. It's MA. theater in real time. That's yeah, Zito. You mentioned that. Um, yeah, I don't remember who said it. Some guy on Twitter, I think. Um, but it really changed the way I no, thought it about. A, it was a YouTube uh, video. Oh, a YouTube video. Yeah, I knew it was somebody on the internet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, if I can find it, the guy I'll who's singing "Purple Rain," I think, or purple. But if uh, if I can find it, uh, I'll link to it. I'll, I'll do a quick search for it. But yeah, he said that this it's the only art form that takes place in real time. It's uh, the the closest thing to it is 
uh, soap operas where the actors uh, and the characters age in real time. But even in soap operas, they'll do flashbacks. The character will put the actor will put on a wig and play a younger version of themselves, things like that. You can't do that in wrestling. You are always in the moment. And there's like it's like Shakespearean where they're talking to the audience. They're having the soliloquy. Of yeah, like, I mean, like we are addressing you, the audience, the crowd. You know, like there's that whole element to yeah. it that's like not in anything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, like that's why The Rock. Honestly, I think part of why The Rock is so like good at being like connecting with people is that he would literally be him in front of twenty thousand people talking to them, like feeding off them. And honestly, even what you're just saying, like you know, this is like really difficult to keep this momentum going of a podcast. I'm like, I'm going to keep the subject going or whatever. Like, if you're like hosting something and you're like, all right, you're and you're interacting with it, and you're keeping them like that going or steering in a certain way, like. There's definitely something to it. You have to only practice it to get good at it. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, definitely like a weird, just a weird skill that some people have, I guess. Although I'm not giving you know, that, that much credit. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take that as a compliment. You That's be what a I'm trying to say. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Carry on. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Go on, Pierre. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, hopefully if you're not, I tried to explain it. I know I realized not everybody is a wrestling fan. Um, not everybody stays up till eight in the morning watching Japanese wrestling live because the uh, like I do because uh, I'm cool. But um, uh, <laughs> but if you're not a wrestling fan, I tried to make this as accessible for. So hopefully you will have a for regular for, regular people for re- for for re- yeah for for you plebs. Um, I tried to talk we down call us to Marks. <laughs> yeah, you Marks. Uh, Mark is uh, in, <laughs> Mark is in wrestling is uh, bad. It's like a sucker. You're a. Uh, it's an industry to term. It's just yeah. thing that Beerman calls me and Zito. Uh, Carnies. Um, but uh, let's and, get started. Uh, yeah. If anything else, this is a list of interesting things to look up on YouTube because it's quite the ECW yes. is stuff is quite a spectacle. Yes, it is. It's 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 pretty amazing. So ECW began from the remnants of Joel Goodhart's Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, a local indie promotion that was around, I think, 88 to 92. Um, in 92, promoter Todd Gordon bought it. Uh, they soon changed their name to Eastern Championship Wrestling and was part of the National Wrestling Alliance, or the NWA. Not that NWA, <laughs> uh, a different one. I'll uh, explain more about the NWA in a little bit. Uh, veteran wrestler Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was the booker or the matchmaker, sort of the main creative head, and he got them a TV deal on Sports Channel Philadelphia Station, a sister network of Prism, which I don't remember. I was too young. Do you guys remember that Sports Channel Philadelphia? Uh, I Prism? remember Prism. Is that what you're talking? About? Is that what? Yeah. Or were they two different things? Oh, but absolutely. it was like a it was like a sister station to Prism. Oh, I kind of oh. remember that. I think I think they were. It was one channel, one above the other, um, that kind of thing. Like that, Channel Twenty Four on on the Greater Media Cable <laughs> Network. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Like Twenty Five, Twenty Six. And this was a sports network because uh, I, I I mean I prim- primarily remember Prism for uh, the Flyers games. Flyers and bad movies. Police <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Academy Three. <laughs> Uh, every day. <laughs> yeah, I love this one. <laughs> he makes the funny sounds. Uh, after where's Kim Cattrall? <laughs> uh, yeah, where's 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 Mannequin Two on the move? 
after Todd Gordon and Eddie Gilbert had a falling out, um, Eddie Gilbert left the promotion, so they needed a booker. Um, so Todd Gordon went to Gilbert's protege, Paul Heyman, for advice. Heyman was formerly an obnoxious, loudmouth, rich boy manager in WCW named Paul E. Dangerously, who was fired from the company shortly before this. So when you say he was an obnoxious, loudmouth, rich boy manager, is that his character, or was he really like that? Oh, yeah, are you being <laughs> just a heel right now? <laughs> well, uh, that was his character, but uh, there was definitely... The weird thing about wrestling is the you never really know how much is true and how much is false. So while he, I don't think he was rich, but he was a <laughs> loudmouth at least and could be obnoxious, um, but definitely plays that up, of course. Gordon asked Heyman for advice on what he would do because ECW had a big show called Ultra Clash 93 coming up on September 18th at Viking Hall, which is a bingo hall at Swanson and Rittner. It would later become the ECW arena. Uh, Wait, so is it, a, was it also like the Mummers Viking Hall? Probably, probably, right? Um, maybe. Go on, go on. That's like the most doubtful I, question. I, Don't even worry about I, it. I, <laughs> what, what other what other Viking Hall could it be? I'll look it it's, up. Myself. Viking Hall is around I mean, the corner. Yeah, if it was at Viking okay, yeah, Hall, that's what, I guess. That's, yeah. I thought it was. Right. That's interesting. <laughs> it was just basically uh, a bingo hall. Oh, I it mean, says uh, yeah. It says it says Viking Hall uh, at a bingo hall. No, I, I I'm familiar with. Uh, just stop. I was just wondering. <laughs> So the Viking Hall would later become the ECW arena when ECW got more famous. Uh, so Heyman uh, had a bunch of different ideas for what wrestling should be and how it should change. Because at the time, this was 92, yeah, WCW and WWF were basically like cartoons. I mean, it was like bright colors, and Hulk, Hulk Hogan was just like uh, like a, a superhero almost. An this is when warrior. I watched wrestling when I was a kid. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that. And I grew up. I loved wrestling at this time. So this was like why I watched it. You know, it was like it was bright and it was interesting. Um, so Paul Heyman. This is what Paul Heyman had to say. Uh, he equated to the change in attitude that was about to come to the music of the era. While hair metal bands like Poison and Warrant were popular, after Nirvana came, they killed them off. And this is Paul Heyman's quote. Wrestling needed to change. Wrestling had become the equivalent of hair bands, and we needed wrestling's version of Nirvana to shake everything up. That is really interesting. That is... That That's is, really interesting, yeah. Wow. I, I, because I, especially because I love the old wrestling. I don't really like yeah. this kind of stuff, I thought you were about but... to say, especially because I love Warrant. <laughs> <laughs> Poison, rat. Yellow poison. Rat. They're still rat. around. They're on that commercial. Every time I watch TV, they're on that commercial. This is really um, interesting. This look. This is like this guy is seeing a cultural change on the horizon. He he watched all these. He he sees long haired dudes on stage in leather, and he puts long haired dudes on or, and long haired dudes uh, on stage in leather in wrestling and in music, and he sees like. Well, they just got knocked off the stage in music. It's going to happen in wrestling. Yeah. It's going to happen yeah, in like all forms of Warrior, entertainment. Those, those guys had perms like that, too. Like Marty Jannetty and shit like that. Like They look like those kind of rockers, literally. The rockers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they yeah they look like those guys. Uh, that makes sense that this thing would take over that uh, in, in the wrestling promotions world. Yeah. Um, Paul Heyman is like a genius, was, we'll learn. Um, but he... He is always like ahead of the curve, even now. Um, like he's always staying. He's like llamas. Um, Nothing better than a llama. A llama, llama. Now, so 
Inspired by him. You'll see. You'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. Inspired by by his ideas, Heyman was hired by Gordon to take over booking for the show. On the show was Shane Douglas, a former WWF and WCW wrestler who was a former tag team champion, and Terry Funk, who was one of the all-time great wrestlers. Um, Funk was one of the most respected wrestlers of his day who did not look down their noses at this new hardcore style that was developing like most of his veteran peers, but rather saw the excitement in the business and knew this was going to be the next big thing. He was also a pioneer of the hardcore style that ECW would later popularize, having done C4 exploding barbed wire death matches in Japan. Have you ever had one of those? Whew. No, that sounds, uh, that sounds crazy. A C4 exploding death match. What does that look like? It's barbed wire. The, instead, the ring is made of barbed wire, and if you get thrown in the barbed wire, then a C4 explodes. <laughs> That's a, I love that they were just going down to Home Depot, like up the street. oh no wait this is japan i'm sorry this is yeah in japan so um i'm sorry but well maybe they were going to do the bunch of (laughs) ecw would later yes very very very, uh they went through a lot of tables so i'm sure they went to home depot so this is like this has got this is early 90s still yeah so how is he getting access to this stuff how i mean i uh, my my, i just back in the day you know it was quite hard to like find anything of foreign content you had to like buy and trade go to conventions and stuff like that is it the same in the wrestling world literally how they yeah it was like in magazines you would their wrestling magazines were real popular or they had tape trading where like somebody in japan was like i want to watch this like obscure match in ww in 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 america maybe not wwf but and and you're like, well, I want this stuff from Japan. So in there was newsletters and magazines in the back. There'd be ads like if I have this and this, yeah, and, this, and I'm looking for this. So you would literally tape oh, it on like the VHS, send it away. Maybe yeah. like I know, like, like, like Bruce Springsteen things like that. You send him five tapes, he keeps half. And he sends you back the recordings you want. You know, yeah. Uh, um, boot, the bootlegging game was audio bootlegging game was totally a crazy thing in that in that era. That's interesting. So, so, or so all just, media, like you know, like is that. Japan big and colorful as well? And then they start doing uh, the, these big uh, stunt uh, sh- show style fights, or or kind of. So, kind of. So, FMW was the company. Um, Frontier Frontier Martial Arts is the name of the company. They were um, very influential in ECW. Sort of how ECW got things taken from them by the bigger companies. ECW took a lot from FMW. Um, and, uh, they had like crazy, yeah, like crazy death matches and stuff, which ECW started were the first ones really to do it in America. So people had never seen this stuff because most people hadn't seen, you know, a VHS tape of Japan from people getting, going through tables and getting cut open and, you know, these crazy barbed wire bat matches. Um, and there was all different wrestlers also on that show was Tasmaniac later known as Taz, who was the human suplex machine. There was Sabu. <laughs> that's, that's what he was known as. There was Sabu, who was a nephew of wrestling legend The Sheik, who was actually a precursor in America to the hardcore style because The Sheik would stab people with pencils until they bled. <laughs> um, there really never was much blood in WWF. When we were kids, no, it was very cartoonish. It was rare, very rare. In the seventies and eighties, blood was really big, but not not in WWF. Um, 
was was it was they wanted to make it kid friendly and sure and like, yeah is it tv that changes that the 70s and 80s it's still on the road it's still syndicates and then what it goes to cable I mean, it was TV. On tv well most they of broadcast it most of the shows were to they, they had tv but the tv was just trying to get you to go to the shows that's how they made money uh, and then in the 80s when wwf sort of went national um, and expanded to where it was one company was on all over America because usually there was the territory. So if you lived in Detroit, Detroit had its own wrestling. Or up in the Northeast here, like there was WWF, which became WWF. But in the South, you know, there was um, Mid South wrestling, and then the Carolinas had their own wrestling. That's like the Andy Kaufman and down South wrestling stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, I'm gonna wrestle a lady here tonight. <laughs> but he did that down south. That's why it's always like the southern crowd and all that. Yeah, stuff. in it's Memphis, like which we talked about last week, and with the the warrior. If the you warrior. listen to uh, <laughs> this, is a plug for our uh, last, last episode. Callback. Uh, it's callback. Of uh, so this Sabu was really influential in WCW. He would do flips through tables, Atomic Arabian face busters. Um, he would do stuff that he invented so many different things and, and it blew American fans like away. Um, there was also Sandman. If you guys, he's, he might be like the quintessential ECW wrestler. So he started out as a surfer and then he evolved into, I guess I would describe it as a drunk roofer. <laughs> your uncle invited to his barbecue. He was the heart and soul of ECW. He would he would carry a kendo stick, which they called Singapore canes, to the ring. He would smoke a cigarette. He would smash a can of beer over his head, so he was already bleeding before he even got into the ring. Wow. Uh, and also, they would play Inner Sandman by Metallica, and the whole crowd would sing it. And and if you guys want to look up uh, anything, if you're listening to this, look up Sandman entrances from ecw because the whole crowd sings he comes through the crowd which nobody did everybody's like he's smoking a cigarette he's bleeding he's drinking he's pouring beers and like it's i can like, see how the crowd would absolutely love that i mean this exactly. is like like this is like the mmr crowd from that era exactly you know, like, that's so funny to think about it like that this is, it's just, I'm just kind of realizing there's an Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode where the guys get into a local wrestling organization and they're going to like, they're going to do a tag team match oh, or something. And it's Roddy Piper. And right? Rowdy Roddy Piper yeah, is the guest yeah. star on the episode. Yeah, it's a great episode. But I guess I'm just realizing it's, now it's, that the wrestling that they're talking about, the wrestling that they're trying to reproduce, ECW. yeah, is ECW. Our, so this, the Sandman, who has what I can only imagine is an organic switch from being a surfer to a drunk roofer, um, is he? Is he? <laughs> what was he doing before he was in ECW? Not necessarily him specifically, but all of these these characters, all of these athletes. Are they? Were they in different leagues? Are they all homegrown guys? What is the? Some of them were. Some of them were um, sort of more popular, and then some of them were just people who were like wanted to be wrestlers around here. Um, Blue Meanie started as a fan. He would go to. Um, he would watch ECW and stuff and then became a wrestler. Uh, Sandman was a contractor around here. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so he started out, he had a character, kind of... and then he just was he like, I'm coming as myself. <laughs> yeah. There was like the Tough Man contest used to be around that time too, and I, I would imagine... Yeah, or they were bouncers and stuff. I mean... I think that's cool. I think So is that why they set it up <laughs> in Philadelphia, or just this is all organic? I think it's just organic. Like, like um, ECW later on would take people like Taz. Taz was 
he was like supposed to be this badass, and he was, but he was small. And you got to remember in wrestling in the eight, 80s and early 90s, everybody is like, you got to be six five. You got to be jacked. You got like you have to look like this. So if you're six foot or like smaller than six foot, it's like, oh, this guy's too small. Taz says on the um, there's the ECW documentary I watched. He called the locker room like the island of misfit toys because it was people that like either you're too small or this won't work on a national promotion or sure. Like this guy's like bodybuilders for... like in at that yeah, time. Yeah. And these were like, and like Sandman was just like, like I said, it was just like, he would be working on your, he seemed like he would be like, you know, installing floors during the day. And then like, he would go beat the shit out of somebody at night. And you know, like, um, Cactus Jack was another one. So Cactus Jack is, uh, Mick Foley who was mankind and dude love and WWF. And he had skated around like WCW and but ECW was really where he got to be. He became like a legend there. And oh, really? Yeah, um, because he would just do these like crazy matches. Him and Terry Funk would do these crazy matches and his promos were just like scary. There's one in particular. Definitely look this up. It's called the King Dewey promo. It's um, later on. He would cut these because everybody the crowd wanted them more and more hardcore this is like sort of later on more we're talking about and the crowd wanted them to like bleed and do this crazy shit so he started cutting these promos as a heel character that was just like this this is like 94 probably okay i'm just trying to think of like where i was like a little kid like (laughs) Not, not cutting yourself um they would want them to do this crazy stuff and so he his heel character was he would cut these anti hardcore promos where he would cut promos on the fans where it was like you want us to do too much and somebody came to this is a true story somebody came to a show holding a sign that said Kane Dewey Dewey was uh, Mick Foley in real life his infant son and so he cut this promo it's one of the craziest monologues like it's like Shakespearean like you you see a guy losing his mind talking about like like how could you say this and like he became this heel character that was sort of like going against um, what these crazy fans wanted and and this is mankind you're talking about yeah he'd be later but later became mankind but at the time he was Cactus Jack you're saying Cactus Jack Jack. Jack. I did he like lived in Philly and did this Oh, you're saying he bounced around, and this was just he bounced around. Um, I but he had this cult point, following too at the ECW. Yeah, he became like because he would just have these crazy matches, and like he he's not a big guy or anything. He's just yeah. he looks like he's like kind of overweight, and you know he could wrestle, but it was like he he wasn't. You wouldn't look at him and be like, oh, this guy's like a, a wrestler. wrestler yeah, I mean, I never really, I never really got it, but this is so like this makes sense of why so many people love it. I actually, yeah. when I was a kid, I worked you a, at a... You have a, you have a story, right? I, I just, I, I worked uh, at a comic shop on Passion Avenue, and uh, Mick Foley did a signing there, and he was, I mean, <laughs> I, I knew him as, like, I'm pretty sure he was Mankind by then, or maybe it was the Sock, what was yeah. the, who, which one of his characters? Uh, that was Mankind. That was Mankind, Mr. yeah. Mr. Socko. Mr. Socko, yeah, because that was definitely involved in the signing. He was just, like, super duper nice. He was incredibly charismatic. Yeah. He the, he had a line. It was the it was the craziest thing to happen on on Pageant Avenue in ten years, and he had a line out the door. <laughs> he was and he was just awesome. He when would really you say cool. this was, you know? And that yeah, that was man. man. That was ninety seven. I want to say maybe the maybe the beginning of ninety eight, but I want to say ninety seven. Um, it was really cool. Yeah, it was really really cool. 
Um, I didn't know though at the time. Again, I was only a fan of this mainstream wrestling because uh, it's uh, that's that's you know what I was aware of. Even I, I wasn't reading the magazines, but he was there. I guess promoting. That's why all of these diehard fans were there in Philadelphia. I thought it was because he was on TV as like Mankind, but people in Philadelphia must have loved him. Yeah, I mean, he, and it's, he was like a god here. Yeah, it's funny talking about like signings and things. Like, uh, like it would make sense that the comic shop would host like a signing and not Foreman Mills. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like he's like a little bit more mainstream at this point, and it's like, okay, like where does DC and Marvel sell their stuff? And I could see how like wrestling crossed over to be at um, Gus's old comic shop. Uh, yeah, at, at different it, it times, comics like and, not, it and wrestling. It seemed weird when a national over. thing was around like that. I know you're mean. Yeah, and I did, I thought of it as like a national thing, and like I was like, oh well, this just is what happens when a celebrity shows up. But like there was a, there just there just was a warmth between the people who were coming to see him, like a dedication that you don't necessarily see uh, to, from people who are just like, hey, come sign this for me, sign my memorabilia so I can sell it on eBay or whatever. These people were like lined up to like talk to this guy and like have a moment with him. It's also like not a convention, you know, it's like, it's a rare opportunity to get close <laughs> right, to somebody. Right. Um, that's really cool. I didn't know he was part of this. Um, uh, he's, de- he's yeah. I mean, he's not from Philly though, right? No, but um, he's just still, the crowd uh, still beloved him. here. Yeah. <laughs> Much like, much like Bruce Springsteen. Exactly. <laughs> so you're saying Literally loved exactly. here, not from here. You're, so you're saying he's um he, he's he he cuts this promo where he's telling the fans you're asking too much of us, right? This is this is yeah. it, it, does he leave then, does, or did he stay with the or did he stay with the? No, he he, he stayed and um would uh, well he he stayed for a couple years. Sort of what would happen, and this is sort of the story of ECW. ECW would take these people that weren't stars or would make these people stars, but then WWF or WCW, which had way more money, then would hire these people because it's like, oh, they are stars. So that would happen so much. Right. Like, like why bring you bring in a new wrestler who already has like 5,000 fans? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's like minor league, I guess. And, and it's like you're just promote. you're just getting these guys to the best they could be to be like for them to leave you. I could see how it'd be yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Don't leave me. But that wasn't no. how it was set up. That was just what was happening incidentally. These guys that's were just, just how it goes. Yeah, it's okay. just, that's, yeah, that's the I game, mean, baby. It's it's like on on um like ECW couldn't compete with like a uh they were like this small promotion, you know, even at their their biggest popularity like years later. I kind of remember they did a a pay-per-view special and it was like a big deal because like they did. the local <laughs> The local wrestling was doing yeah, a that was a big deal. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that. Barely legal, ninety seven. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's weird to remember that. Yeah. Um. So I explained sort of the territories, the NWA territories. So, uh, I guess the NWA in the all the way back to like the twenties, I think. Like, and then um, through the years, it's they there was a national wrestling alliance. So there was different territories of wrestling in each place, but they all were a part of the NWA. And I guess I would equate it to the mob where it's like, <laughs> there's different mob families in each part of the country, but then they would, I thought you meant like mobs of people. You mean actual, the, mafia. the actual mafia, they would meet up, they would send the heads of each of these people and they would actually vote on like who was, and who was going to be NWA champion for that year or whatever. Wow. And that, that champion would like, um, he would visit each territory for like, you know, a little bit sure, and then yeah. you would have like the actual, the world champion. Um, 
But by this point, since WWF and WCW had left NWA, um, the NWA was like a shell of itself. So, uh, at, so, but Eastern Championship Wrestling, as it was in here, 94, um, they were still part of the NWA. So there became a tournament in ECW to crown the next ECW heavyweight champion, but also the the winner would become NWA world heavyweight champion, which, like I said, was this was the most prestigious belt in wrestling at one point, but not not right now at this time. Just a little so shade. All right. All right. Some behind the scenes issues. Um, there was infighting in the NWA. The NWA president, Dennis Corluzzo, didn't like ECW. He would send tapes to around the country and be like, look, look what they're doing. They're cutting each other. They're going through tables. This is a disgrace. So they would try to not get them booked. And they, he was like, all right, we're going to have a tournament to crown the NWA champion, but we're, I, I'm going to oversee the tournament because we don't trust you that what you're going to do. So Todd Gordon was, and Paul Heyman and Shane Douglas, who um, he uh, eventually won the tournament. Um, they planned this whole thing out. They have the tournament. Shane Douglas wins. Um, on July 27th, 1994, he beats Two Cold Scorpio in the finals, so he wins. And in his speech after the match, this was a very famous uh, moment in wrestling. He's given this speech about all the great champions that came before him, and then he said, And they can all kiss my ass! What in the hell is he doing? Because I am not the man! who accepts a torch to be handed down to me from an organization that died, R.I.P., seven years ago. The franchise, Shane Douglas, is the man who ignites the new flame of the sport of professional wrestling. And he throws the MWA belt down. <laughs> <laughs> but this was legit. The the NWA had no idea this was going to happen. Only three, the only three people that knew about it were Paul Heyman, um, uh, Shane Douglas, and Todd Gordon. And it it was like a they they completely like this was a fuck you to the NWA, and they had no idea about it. And this was it's still controversial to this day. I mean, it put them on the it put them on the map, but it was also just like people were just like, how dare you? Like you're like shitting on the on the business. But to Paul Heyman and everybody, this was like the NWA was like the old school mentality that they were trying to get away with. You know, like for them to do that, it's almost like a Hail Mary anyway, because it's or like a coop, you know, like there's a system and they just like, well, if we want to get to the top, we got to throw a, like a monkey wrench. And I could see. Yeah. I could see how that happens, especially with like everybody who's involved with wrestling is really a heel, right? Like no one wants to get into wrestling to be like <laughs> a baby face because everyone's like a heel. So we should explain a heel is a bad guy. A bad guy, yeah. In right. wrestling, a baby face is a good a good guy. So how did the crowd react? So uh, in the he yeah, he, he, crowd, he throws right? the belt down the and then the crowd what? loved it. So right. yeah. the the crowd loved it because it was like so. Uh, also, what the the what you got to know about the ECW audience, where they were very in tune. They were the type of people who were reading the magazines and newsletters and tape trading. Diehard fans so, of all exactly. of the other, so, of all the other and syndicates. When you're a diehard wrestling fan, as I am, you you think you like read about all this stuff and like the inside like scoops of what's happening. So you think you kind of know what's happening, but then you see something where and it's like, wait, is this real? Like what? And then 
so you never like ECW was so good at like fooling those people also. So people in the crowd knew like that's the NWA championship. Like he just threw that on the ground. Like that's like everybody knew like what a disgraceful thing it was. But the crowd loved it because it was like this isn't supposed to happen. And of course, like they were like, you know, these were Eagles fans and Flyers fans. <laughs> and, and like so it was like these are people like working class people of all races who lived around here, mostly men. And uh, um, who were just like, this is crazy. This isn't supposed to happen. So, of course, we're going to love it. Right, right. So the, so the, so the crowd goes up. wild. The, the, he drops the belt on the ground. And does he ever go back and pick it up? What happens to the belt? Does he does he remain the champion for the year? Does he do the tour like he's supposed so to? So what happened was um, Dennis Coraluzzo, who was the president of the NWA, he was there. And he was literally like, what is going on? Like, wh what's happening? So he cuts this promo because and, and, and they were just like, it's an angle. Just go with it. He cuts a promo saying, like, whether you want it to be or not, you're the NWA champion. They get they're like, um, Dennis, Dennis, come here. I'm going to put a camera in his face. Now you act real mad. He's yeah, like, I exactly. am real mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then what happened was people were disgusted and they planned this all out. Where so instead the, and very soon after, like the next week or something, Todd Gordon goes on TV and he's like, we're no longer affiliated with the NWA. We're not Eastern Championship Wrestling. We're still ECW, but we're Extreme Championship Wrestling. And now it's sort of like the beginning of like the ECW that it, is more. It's more also funny about wrestling, like like you're saying, like it's theater in real time, but sometimes it's business in real time. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. like a new deal like i like these guys shake hands and the like that's also like a wild element and then what i know about wrestling it happens like yeah. it's this is this is not a, a unique situation where it's like that's the end of that contract and that's there's a new contract it's yeah, wild you can't, i don't know you, you can't know what I'm saying, right? the show yeah, you can't undo what, what what you just what the audience just saw on the show. Even seen. if even if yeah. they know it wasn't supposed to go that way, it it happened, and now that is the way that it is. You know, like he th yeah. he threw the belt down. Even if they came out and said, "Oh, well, it was all staged. It was all staged, or whatever," but it, like it still happened. Or it was you, a dream. <laughs> yeah, it was a dream. Right, right, right. Um, you have you can't retcon your way out of it. You have to just keep moving forward. I find it incredibly interesting that they that. Uh, uh, Luzo is um, is in watching this all go down, and in the mid, like Trove said, business is happening in real time. He has to they yeah. they have him cut a promo before before <laughs> they go to a back room to deal with anything to talk about like how's this going to play out? What are we? What are, that all comes afterwards. First, it's it's the it's the performance. First, it's the shouting at the camera and 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 I don't know spilling the tea. It's, it, that, I wish it, we did business yeah. like this. I wish I, like, you want 24 t-shirts? You know. Like, <laughs> boom! I, like, I don't know. I just wish. Ah, I we wish, swerved you. I, maybe I don't want to do business like that. I don't know. Never yeah, mind. probably not. Never mind. Um, so I want to talk about, I made sure to put include this because it's one of my favorite ECW stories. It's one of my favorite wrestling stories ever. So um, Tommy Dreamer, who was another uh, wrestler, uh, he was sort of like this good-looking baby face um, he became like, uh, and the crowd didn't really like him, but then he slowly became um, like this hardcore, like badass, and the crowd loved him. He was feuding with Sandman. So he did a thing where uh, in a match after, I don't know if it was after a match, um, Tommy Dreamer took Sandman's cigarette and put it out in his eye. And then he, he, he took his cane and hit him in the other eye with it. Um, so uh, then on the syndicated TV show, ECW Hardcore TV, fans, they took a camera backstage. Fans saw Dreamer, tell, who was a good baby face, a good guy, 
telling the heels and um, all the bad guys that he was like, I didn't mean it, even though th- this was like that. That was part of a story. Then they made it look like the wrestlers were holding them back. So it was like, wait, like that was supposed to be fake. But is this fake? Um, you know, and- what's also weird about this. Like at this time, people the like was this was the curtain pulled up with all the uh, like the fans were like in on it's being faked. Not like the, they you know were starting I mean? to with like the internet and stuff. But, no, no, no um, but you know, like when, like when, like when, uh, like Vince McMahon at one point says, "Actually, it is all fake," and I'm the president of WWE. Like, like yeah, that was not till year, like, years later. Like, like, I, like I feel like the consciousness of the fan be was different after that, and I was wondering if this was tied in with that. It was wrong. Yeah, it was, you can cut this part out. I understand. It was starting <laughs> to become where it was like people like were being like, okay, we kind of know what's going on, especially if sure, you, I, I mean, you think people knew it was, a, you know, open secret. Um, sure. So now people were watching this and they're just like, wait, like they're like, this isn't part of the show. Like this is this is real. Um, so Sandman, who lived in South Philly from that day on for the next month, pretended he was actually blind. He would stay in his house. All the kids and, and fans, they all knew where he lived, and they would never see him. He wouldn't come out of his house. People would knock on his door, and his wife would open the door or answer the door, and they would, and, and he'd be like, he's not coming out. He wouldn't come out to get the mail. If his wife wasn't home, he just wouldn't answer the door. So everybody was like, wait, like, is this, is he, like, is he really blind? Like, what what's the deal? Like This is like he, living art. This is like. It's like, a me- he was like a method actor for yeah. a month. I mean, and it's then, like it's such, it's such a hyper-local performance. Like exactly. that the fact it's that like he like where literally he know where this guy lives. The stage. Like the city of Philadelphia is the stage, you know, and like everything exactly. is out. It's, okay, go on. <laughs> so he, they, they announce ECW announced that he's going to retire because he's blind. So he, he comes to ECW arena. He's got he's got bandages over his eyes. Someone has to help him into the ring. Um, Tommy Dreamer, of course, comes out and is pissed off. And he's like making a fuss and all because like this guy's in here. He turns his back on him. Sandman rips off his bandages, hits him, beats the shit out of him <laughs> with a cane. He lights up, lights up a cigarette to let everybody know that, like, hey, I was, that, like, I was, I did all this just to screw Tommy Dreamer. And like, if you look this up, the crowd goes crazy because right. the crowd who were like, we, we, we like, oh, we know, we know everything, we know it's gonna happen. Like they fooled them and they Marks. understood that. Marks. Yeah, the sh- yeah, the show didn't st- smart. Marks. That's smart. amazing. The show didn't stop when he left. The, when he left the arena, the the show, yeah, like I, he, it just keeps going. It went on for you're saying a week, two weeks, month, right? A month, a month. That's insane. He didn't leave his house for a month. The commitment, dude. And what is he getting paid for this? He for this local wrestling league. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Day to day, like, he's like not like he's a know, contractor. Some, like he had some money, but exactly, he had to take a oh, month man. off of being a contractor to pull that off. And so from then on, like ECW, they would do everything. They would do blood, chair shots, barbed pregnancy angles, pregnant lesbian angles, man on woman violence. Uh, they would set people on fire accidentally. They crucified somebody, which is the I think the only time ECW actually had to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> they would just well, because it was because it was do- offensive, or what did they? What what aspect of it did they apologize for? Um. So what had happened was. Um, Raven, who was like this grunge character, he uh, started, he took Sandman's son um, basically from him and like sort of hit, uh, brainwashed him into being like, he doesn't like Sandman <laughs> and now he now he loves me. Now I'm your dad. I'm your dad and now. They, who wrote and they got, this stuff? They, 
like okay. this was all Paul Heyman and the wrestlers. That was the other thing. Like the wrestlers had so much more creative freedom um, than they would in WWF. Like they would have these crazy ideas, and Paul Heyman would be like, "All right, let's do it." So and, when like, when Sandman's son gets brainwashed, did he like make his son go live with that other wrestler? Was he like that committed to that well, one too? He was on the show every week and being like, "I Raven's my new dad now." Like, <laughs> How um, old so, was this kid? How old was this? What kid? Like, like eight or nine. <laughs> That's got to warp him. He's got to be. He, this this strange performance happening hey, just man, up the he street. Was, he was he was working everybody. Uh, <laughs> so uh, long story short, Raven um, uh, crucifies uh, Sandman on a uh, cross <laughs> and puts barbed wire on his head. Um, Kurt Angle, who uh, is was later a WWF wrestler, and but he was an Olympic gold re- uh, gold medal wrestler. Legitimately, he was at the show because he was being like, maybe I'll try pro wrestling. This is before he was a pro wrestler, and he saw this and it was just like, this is disgusting. And, and, <laughs> and so even the crowd was like, wow, this is like too far. Um, and so did they wait? Uh, did they literally crucify him? They didn't drive a nail through his hand. They just put him up on the cross, right? No, but they hung him up on this cross. Was like San- Sandman impressed. actually is <laughs> trivia. Sandman, since he's a contractor, made this cross. He's a carpenter. He built his own cross, right? Of course, yeah. 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 No, it's um, metaphors. I see so, it. They're really they're playing with yeah. layers over here at ECW. Oh, the carpentry down there. It's Subtext, dude. Subtext. Uh, so, uh, Subtext, but, right, dude. But, Kurt Angle was like disgusted and even the crowd was like, whoa, man, I don't know. So like uh, Paul Heyman actually made uh, Raven come out and apologize, which Sandman was furious, obviously, because it's just like, what are you doing? Like we you just ruined everything that like we like. You just ruined Easter. Yeah, you just ruined. Uh, to be honest, that sounds positively quaint by the standards of some of the shit you see on TV tw- twenty yeah, years. Yeah, for later. sure. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, but uh, so that 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 was they had to apologize. But um, so for all this crazy shit that ECW would do, go through tables and stuff, they would also get the best technical wrestlers around the world. They would bring in people from Mexico and Japan that like people had never seen in the country, and yet and a lot of them were like smaller guys, so they wouldn't get a chance to shine in WWF and WCW. So, and that's what I think for me is like my favorite ECW stuff was they would bring in people um, from Japan. Uh, there was Takamichinoku, Great Sasuke, and a guy in a crab mask named Grand Nanawa that I can't believe I worked in a reference to on this podcast. <laughs> um, I, I, so, I am not. Uh, so, so, but, but the crowd, since they were <laughs> hardcore wrestling fans, they loved this. So that was, that stuff was just a mu- as much of a part of ECW as like the crazy blood and, and barbed wire matches. Got you. Um, and the crowd would love it. And it would also set them up. It would give them a platform. Um, and they, to be like, wow, like WWF and WCW would look at the, these matches and be like, wow, these guys are great. And of course they would hire them because, um, you, as a wrestler, you only have a certain amount of years that your body can physically do this. Right. So like, yeah. Like any like, athlete. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, I might have more fun in ECW wrestling for a thousand people and getting paid this much, but, and I have more creative freedom. It's like, well, I have to feed my family doing this. So I'm, of course I'm going to go to WWF and WCW cause I can get paid a lot more money. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's also, that's, that's the ultimate goal, I guess, for a wrestler. 
It's also pretty cool that they're inviting all these wrestlers in from all over the world to help them accentuate the thing that makes them cool. They set up a little like wrestling school in a way there. And Sandman, whose real name I I, I guess I forgot already, um, he's he's just a, a a contractor. He's a fan of of wrestling, and now all of a sudden he's getting to yeah, learn he's from like the greatest not, wrestlers. He's not, he, He's the opposite of like he's not a great technical wrestler. He's a guy who like beats people with a cane and shit. But at so the crowd but going, like, you know, it's almost more important. Yeah, and but the crowd would also love like these luchadors doing stuff that like America had never seen because they were never on like like national television. Right. So unless like, you like, they never had that stuff. Yeah. Um so the crowd would love it. The fans, ECW fans became better known as the mutants. <laughs> uh, uh, which like they uh, they were like the most as you know as Philly fans you, you, we all know Eagles fans and, and, and Flyers fans these were like the hardest of the hardcore and if they didn't like you they would let you know you mean but if they liked you you would be a god here you know uh, yeah, sure. I can't believe it was a tough crowd in Philadelphia. You're, you're kidding me. Yeah, can you? But like, it? but if you're like, if you're in, you're the king, you know, and that's like, exactly. that's so it. <laughs> Looking at you, Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> Paul Heyman said that. This is a quote from him. That audience couldn't take a nobody and make them like that. Yeah. Um, uh, and the crowd, like I said, were all like working class people. It, they would be a thousand people packed in ECW arena. It would smell everybody sweaty. It would be like no air conditioning in the middle of summer. Dude, uh, and it's like a metal show, you know, like it's it sounds. Yeah, it's like crowd, you know, you're saying like they're a Metallica crowd or whatever. It's like it's like a cult almost. It's like yeah. you see somebody with an ECW shirt. It's like, oh, I'm going to go talk to this person, you know. It's right. Like you're in a this, secret this... club together. Exactly. Um, oh, you're, yeah, in, a, you're like, in a wacky shit, too? That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they would do, uh, like you mentioned, Trove, at the beginning, fans bring the weapon matches. So people would literally bring, the, like you said, Nintendos, cheese graters, toilet seats, kitchen sinks, a canoe oar. Uh, <laughs> literally, and, and it would be like, oh, wow, Sandman took the canoe oar and, be, and beat up Raven with it. That's amazing. <laughs> So they would just they would go around. The wrestlers would come into the ring, and was this for a specific match or a specific night? They would then pull. They would do from it like audience? periodic, periodically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this was like something every once um, every once in a while it would be like fans bring. Fans I bring feel like they broke there. a lot of uh, neon or, or uh, fluorescent bulbs, right? That's kind of. I think that's that's like later on. Okay. Um, this is the pre. Uh, fluorescent bulb era I feel of like... hardcore wrestling. <laughs> now that's like a staple. If you staple, go to a hardcore yeah. wrestling show, it's like you, people hit each other with light tubes. I, yeah, so. I feel like I never saw that. And then one day, like I, I see it every single day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> every day you see somebody get hit with a light tube? Or 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 I'm hit with one, yeah. But yeah, pretty much. Yeah, walking day. down the street. It's Philly, dude. <laughs> oh, ah, we could use those. <laughs> Uh, there's a very famous moment where there was a tag match between Public Enemy versus Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. Terry Funk was said to the crowd, hey, somebody hand me a chair. And it was just metal folding chairs that everybody was sitting in. So someone gives him a chair, and then another person throws in a chair in the ring, and then another, and another. And then literally there's like a hundred, <laughs> I'm not joking, a hundred metal folding chairs being thrown and covering the wrestlers Jesus. in the ring. And this is not uh, planned. Everybody's this getting is... hit in the head with it. This is not planned at all. So someone gets on the PA, someone who I guess who works there, and is like, Please do not throw the chairs into the ring! Stop the chairs! Stop the chairs! Do not throw chairs into the ring! It's, it's, 
it's nuts. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. Well, I guess at a certain point, you know, the 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 performers come in and they're feeding off the audience, and then the audience is feeding off of them, and then it's back and forth. And now you're having nights where you're yeah. encouraging them to bring weapons, and then you're they're watching wrestlers use weapons, and it's like, well, I my chair is a weapon too. I if you're gonna use it, why can't I? It's like the line, the line, you know, when you go to a Phillies game, you can't run on Vet Stadium. But it's like when when you go to a wrestling show like this, the wrestlers are fighting in the crowd and they're taking yeah. weapons from the fans. So it like blurs the line so much. Right, right. And they live in your neighborhood. You know who they are. You think they're blind between yeah. matches. Yeah, like they all, so many of them like were from here and lived around here. It's crazy because going back to what we were talking in the beginning where it's like uh, wrestling is happening in real time. It's real life theater then. And to say that these guys were taking it not just out of the ring, but out of the arena and into their regular lives and, 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 and trading kids, brainwashing and, tra- and trading their kids between one another. Like, you as the audience member are living in their comic book world. You're living in their reality when you go to the show and when you even when you leave now, right? Because they are those characters 24 hours a day. They're, this story never ends. It goes on until the next time you go back to the arena and catch the 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 big update. But then there is this like this 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 side reality that exists because of what you witnessed in the arena on Saturday night or whatever. It's really powerful. It's crazy. Well, there was a show in Florida where everybody, um, Public Enemy won a match and everybody ran into the ring and started jumping in the ring and the ring actually broke because there was like hundreds of people. <laughs> <laughs> but that was in Florida. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Florida's fault. That's That doesn't have anything to do with these guys. That's not their problem. By 97, Paul Heyman had bought the company from Todd Gordon, um, and uh, Sports Channel uh, folded, so they became a syndicated show. On 1 a.m. on around here, this is how I remember it, 1 a.m. on Saturday nights, I guess technically Sunday morning on Channel 48, and that's how I remember because I remember flipping through the channels and being like, this is wrestling, like, but it's like real gritty and dark and weird, and they're playing metal, and I was just like, this is not... This is not the cartoon, you know, wrestling that I know. So I didn't like it. I, I didn't wa- I didn't really watch it till till years later. Also in 97, uh, Trove, you mentioned, is barely legal. 97 was their first pay-per-view. And they finally got on pay-per-view. They had to fight. Um, the fans actually had to, like, s- write letters to the pay-per-view company because they're like, we're not going to put this on the air. And until <laughs> finally they were just like, oh, I guess there is an audience for this. Um so they uh, be started doing pay-per-views, um, and by '98 they were they were doing shows in Florida, Chicago, L.A., Detroit. They went to Japan, um, but it was so. But as they were getting popular, WWF and WCW were also getting popular. So it became more and more of a thing that they kept hiring their talent away. By '98 and '99, also ECW's financial troubles were really starting to show. The wrestlers and employees' checks started bouncing leading to some obvious resentment, even in cases where wrestlers were super loyal to the company. Some wrestlers even jumped ship to other companies because of this. Um, Paul Heyman was not um, very good at... He was a great creative genius, but financially he was not very good. And with Todd Gordon not there to candle the finances, then it was like... uh, Even though they were doing... um, making more and more money uh, at least the shows and the pay-per-views it was like people's you know it, stuff was being mismanaged so uh, what why did they split up they had this they had a, it sounded like they had a good thing going was there a, was there a reason or uh yeah so um 
the I skipped it because it would take too long, but uh, it would uh, we'll fill it in real quick. He uh, there was a rumor that Todd Gordon was a mole in the locker room and he was helping facilitate um, WCW or WWF in making deals with uh, the ECW wrestlers. Um, he denies it. Other uh-huh. wrestlers deny it. But Paul Heyman swears it's true. He said he uh, heard the phone calls that he would make to people. So after he was accused of being a double agent for the bigger outlets, did he go on to work for them when he left ECW? Um, no, he Todd Gordon now owns a pawn shop downtown. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> uh, I forget the name of it. I had it written down, but uh, yeah. So so he um, he sort of left and let Paul Heyman uh, run the company, and uh, Paul Heyman. Financially, did not do a very good job, and he was overwhelmed. I mean, Heyman was doing everything. He was editing the shows. He was calling. He was helping facilitate all the all the deals. He was like just planning everything out, and he was burned out. I mean, he he literally was like falling asleep editing the shows, and he would sleep a couple hours a night. And you can do that for a little while, but when you get older and you're doing that for years. Um, and the wrestlers who also had like different jobs, like some of them would like sell T-shirts or like actually make the T-shirts or like call places. They were like, hey, like, let us have more responsibility. But Paul Heyman was like, this was his vision. And he, you know, he was like, well, I want to do everything. But, you know, he just physically couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, so he was definitely burnt out. He was exhausted. Um, so the only way to make money in 1999 uh, Paul Heyman figured was to get on national television. So the Nashville network um, changed it. This was like a country music station on cable. They changed their name and they rebranded as TNN and they saw ECW as a perfect way to get in the, to the wrestling. <clears throat> I remember this. So I d- got- oh man. Wow. I can't believe, I can't believe this was a, th- this was them. I remember when TNN became uh, TNN and, and tried to like go. Cause we really just love broadcasting history. Yeah. And this is why he did this. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, so they finally got on TV, but TNN had all these notes like the, the, they filmed um, their first episode and TNN was like, we don't, we don't like this. Cause it was, it didn't, they couldn't, they didn't have the money. Their ECW's whole thing was like, we're going to be a gritty alternative to WWF and WCW. But TNN was like, well, that's what we want is like that. We want like the bright lights and the cartoonishness of it but ecw was like well we can't afford to become that and they're so like the they're... biggest s- smaller version of it exactly and it's not what they um, want we want something we yeah. want this but not this right yeah so they hired them and they filmed their first episode and tnn was like we don't want this um so their first episode of the show was actually a best of of various matches because they were they and that sort of was like that should have been a red flag right there that they sure. didn't like it but um, so the show kept going on, and as a, well, in a matter well, of well, weeks, what didn't they yeah. like about it that it was extreme as it had been, or was there something was, wrong yeah, with the quality? It was too that raunchy. It was it. too raunchy. It was it was gritty. It was dark looking. It didn't look like you know there wasn't uh, eighty thousand people in like these giant arenas, and um, it was like they were yeah they, they it was too violent. It was everything, and it was like well this they is thought what they were kind of hired us to do. They thought they were buying WWE light, and they weren't. And yes. they were surprised with yes. what they got. <laughs> so and then this was uh, especially when other wrestlers were leaving. Um, so they were constantly fighting with the network so much that Paul Heyman created a character called Cyrus, 
who was supposedly his character was he was a network executive who would literally come out in the middle of the show and interrupt the show and supposed to give notes from the network and demanding things be changed, <laughs> which, as you can imagine, TNN was not happy about that. Yeah, they don't get they don't get the inside joke of wrestling about like skating that line of reality and, and fiction. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure that did not go over well with the Nashville network. <laughs> <laughs> no, and they didn't really promote the show. It was kind of like the black sheep on the network. Did um, they move it to so like Saturday at 1 a.m. as well? It was at Friday nights um, uh, primetime, which like Friday nights. I mean, now it's not that big. Literally, specifically right now during the quarantine, it's not as bad. But usually people go out on Friday night, yeah. you know, especially young people. Yeah. Their demo was younger people. Right. Um, so this was like not really a great time slot. So they had this was the thing they planned to save the show, but it was actually making the money woes worse. And even more damaging was with that was that um, TNN was secretly negotiating a hundred million dollar deal with Monday with WWF Monday Night Raw, who were leaving the USA Network. And so. Paul Heyman saw this as a slap in the face. It was like, oh, so really we were the we were sort of the canary in the coal mine of like we were the guinea pig of like how will our fans and advertisers react to wrestling being on the show? And that now it's like, all right, we got ECW, but like who cares about this? We're going for WWF because that was the bigger one. Um, so Paul Heyman heard about this, and uh, yeah, it's, as I said, it's, it's not the wrestling network; it's the Nashville network. So to have two wrestling programs on it Fridays and Mondays, it's like something's got to give. So Paul Heyman is not one to keep his mouth shut. So he would literally cut promos on the show at the executives, which of course angered them even more. There's one promo. <laughs> There's one there's one promo where he literally says he hates the network and he literally dares them to take them off TV. Wow. We should we should play that right now if we have a clip of it. You see, in just a few weeks, the network is going to give a hundred million dollars to Vince McMahon like he needs it to replace us. In case they haven't thrown us off before then. And the fact of the matter is, we're not a publicly funded company like Vince McMahon or WCW. We survive or even thrive on your support. And for that, we thank you. Now, in an industry where everybody wants to be real and everybody wants to do a shoot, this, my friends, is a shoot. We hate this stinking network. We hate their guts for abandoning us. We hate their guts for not supporting us. We hate their guts for not advertising us. And we hate their guts for not having the balls to throw us off the air. And just in case you're watching this, hey, network, I dare you to throw me off the air. Because I'm going to break every rule that you put in front of me until you throw me the hell off the air. So they kind of knew they were going to be canceled. And the weird thing was they, to survive, they had to look for a new network. But since they weren't technically canceled and they were still in a contract, they legally couldn't um, negotiate. So Ugh. they were basically like... And the checks were bouncing more and more, and of course that that added up. Well, and, once they're and, on TNN, and, what's the overhead? Did they have they just incurred so much debt by that point getting to there that they just that's why the the yeah, money and, was. Yeah, and TNN didn't TNN didn't play didn't um they didn't pay them that much money. They couldn't get uh, wrestling is always historically 
um, not gotten like big advertisers because it's sort of looked down upon as like that's something poor people watch, you know, or, or, or just kids like, or whatever. Uh, yeah, and this wasn't for kids, and it was on Friday night, and and it's uh, Audi's not going to be, you know, being like, let's advertise on ECW, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> right. Um, There's even like that part in Glow they do this, yeah. But he's like he's inventing the way that wrestling did get Audi and and Ford to uh, to advertise. Yeah, I mean, and, and... Uh, s- s- during this during this time, like WWF and WCW, th- the Attitude Era of like they would basically rip off ECW, all the stuff that ECW, the raunchy and hardcore stuff that ECW would do. Right, WWF yeah. was like. Oh, like there's a venue for this. Let's do this and but do it main mainstream. And then like WWF during '98 and with The Rock and Austin, and it was like that was the height of wrestling. I mean, yeah. still to this day. I mean, like in the modern era. Yeah, well, it's cro- it's the, crossover appeal. You know, like it, it was just everywhere in that minute. Yeah. You know, and and The Rock has gone on to be like the biggest celebrity in uh, in the world. So like ever. Yeah. yeah. Right. He's, he, <laughs> He's in, he's in my my favorite movie, Jumanji Two. That's your favorite movie? No, no. So they were supposed to have a pay per view in March two thousand one, but it was canceled because they couldn't pay for it, and that sort of um, was the end. The wrestler said they, Paul Hammond kept saying like, "Yeah, we're gonna have it, we're gonna have it." Um, he went out to L.A. and was like, "I'm I'm talking to all these business people to get a TV deal." But what was the wrestler say? What was actually happening is uh, he was out there to film a part as an announcer in the LL Cool J vehicle rollerball. (laughs) So uh, he owed all these people money. And when they heard about that, it's like, wait, what? So in March 2001, right after WWF bought WCW, they saw the wrestlers watching the show that night saw Paul Heyman come out on WWF as an announcer. He was like, it's like, he's the, you know, new, um, he's one of the announcers now. And everybody knew like watching at home, like that's the end. Wow. Like that's officially the end. And they, they were totally blindsided by this. Um, wow. Uh, so, uh, that was officially the end, and I that's, mean, people that's a, were that's, owed. That's another like level of the theater and the reality. The actors are now watching the play; they're part of the show, and they and they're yeah. also the audience for the show. Ah, dude, and it's just like, what are we gonna do for jobs? Yes, of course. There's a human element to it as well. It's not all. It's all not all meta mind blowing right. nonsense. There were people that were owed like over a hundred thousand dollars you know what i mean wow and it's like um so uh in 2003 ecw officially filed for bankruptcy and they were bought by wwe who were no longer wwf um so at so wwf basically monopolized wrestling in america at this point what what did they even get out of that ecw so the, what they got was all the tape library and uh, stuff. Okay. Um, oh, so the content was what was. They're the ones who can make the ECW movie um, with their uh, WrestleMania uh, brand of films or whatever it is. And so they kind of did do that. Um, I mean, they bought it for like nothing, pennies on the dollar compared to what to they what spent it was yeah. worth at one point. So in t- um, 2003, they put out a DVD called "The Rise and Fall of ECW," which is like a 
uh, doc three hour long documentary um, that WWF produced about ECW, and I had some matches on it. Like if this hour long podcast isn't enough, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah but it's really good actually. If you, if you, uh, uh, well, you have that one's really good. You've definitely there's also a two hour yeah. documentary that's like uh, an an unauthorized one called Forever Hardcore. That's on uh, YouTube for free. If y'all, would, if that's very. I'm good. probably gonna start but, there. Um, I'm probably gonna start with the unauthorized the, one in the spirit of ECW. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the this DVD was like the biggest WWF's biggest um DVD. Oh, wow. Like it sold so many. Wow, and really? they were like also like shocked by this. Like this like weird cult um like uh company like still has this many fans. So uh they started doing um reunion pay per views where they would hire wow. um, some of the old wrestlers. Did, they had there was two of them. Huh. Um, Did Sandman and, come uh, back? It was basically yeah, Sandman yeah, did for um, Sandman's back. Yeah, Sandman getting that getting that corporate check. Did he win his son back? Did is his, his how did the story uh, resolve? <laughs> that's that's a touchy subject, probably. I think he came, he came back with his son. They they, they reunited. Um, they see each other on weekends. But uh but this was all basically a test for Vince McMahon to be like maybe there's something to this. So in 2006, they brought back a show called ECW. It was its own brand. Wow. Instead of SmackDown was its show and Raw was its own show, ECW was its own and show. And this is how ECW became toys then too, I guess. Oh. Yeah, so it, it was sort of ECW in name only. I mean, uh. this was very different. The, it, WWE was very rated PG at this point. Uh. Um, they were They were a corporate, they were a publicly owned company, so they... They were also on the Sci-Fi Channel in 2006, okay. uh, ECW, and the Sci-Fi Channel was like, well, we want the wrestling to have a sci-fi bend uh-huh. uh, to it. So the first episode, there was a character, the zombie, who was a zombie, and came <laughs> out, uh-huh. and Sandman came out and beat the shit out of him with a cane. Okay, um, <laughs> But then there were just like, it was just like this is not the so it was like sort of honestly that's just ECW like fans. that's just like Mick Foley doing an autograph signing at the comic book shop like it's like yeah, these it things are kind of alike version. or like Frank Bialois here you are signing autographs at a discount clothing store and <laughs> it was it was. It was not the same, to say the least. Sure. They sort of advertised it to... They marketed it to the old ECW fans, but the old ECW fans were like, this isn't ECW. Right, because right. part of it, um, for them, it's the experience of going to the show, of being in the crowd, and like... And but being also part of and that the reality. rebelliousness, yeah. and then the rebelliousness of it, and then it's like when a giant billion-dollar corporation owns the thing, it's like, this what this isn't rebellious right. if anymore. You, if you cheered for the for them throwing the NWA belt down and, and being like, we don't need your accolades, then wh- what could what joy could you possibly get from WWE releasing all of well, the ECW content? It's the spirit yeah. of, of running something into the ground. Right. That's like one of the most wrestling things you can really... The business of wrestling yeah. is... Just overdoing it, it sell it until no one wants it anymore. The, the performative arts in general, just keep doing it. <laughs> just keep doing it until the last person goes home. Keep doing 20th it. 20th anniversary. <laughs> <It's> back, baby. <laughs> Rolling Stones are back together. Back, baby, yeah. Uh, so Paul Heyman actually came on and was sort of uh, the on-screen figurehead for ECW for a while, and he 
tried to be like a head writer, but you, you, everything goes through Vince McMahon, and he wasn't the head of it anymore. So he, after about a year, he was uh, he quit, um, which is funny because uh, so he then became the on-screen uh, manager for Brock Lesnar, who's still around, and he still is that. Um, but when I wrote this, this doesn't happen. This literally happened last week. Uh, Paul Heyman was uh, le- legitimately the head writer of Monday Night Raw for the past like nine months, and he was fired last week. Over, over <laughs> like very recently, <laughs> literally last week. Uh, as we're oh, recording. this is very topical. Um, yeah, uh, he just kept fighting with Vince, and it's it's like you know y- you guys know how it is. If somebody bought South Fellini in there, and it's like then it's like oh well, we have we want to do this, and it's like yeah we don't really think so, and you're constantly fighting all the time. Like, what did you hire they us get for? Frustrated. Yes, for the record, they South get Fellini, frustrated at it. For the record, South Fellini is for sale. Two million dollars. We'll never bother. <laughs> WWF. Uh. WWF or Disney. Yeah, if you're listening, WWF, WWE. WWE. Yeah. Um, so most of the wrestlers are now retired and, and, uh, gotcha. there's still a few that are still going, but, um, uh, it's basically like this cult thing in time for wrestling. It's very of its time. It's very nineties. I mean, it's it has extreme in the title. I mean, it's so nineties, you know what yeah, I mean? So nineties. It's, um, rad. yeah, exactly. And it's like in your face and, uh, it was definitely a moment in time in wrestling. And still, if, if, if you go to a wrestling show and someone goes through a table, people will yell, EC dub, EC dub. Or if Paul Heyman comes out at a WWE show, the crowd will still chant EC dub. I mean, um, they're, they're still like a, a hardcore fan, fans of it. But That's fantastic. Um, That's great. That, that yeah. people that that even people who never went to the shows still respect and uh, and uh, carry on the tradition respect. of where it came from. <laughs> respect, you gotta respect, respect the table chair break. Yeah. <laughs> what well, people would travel all over to go to ECW Reno, and I mean they still have shows there. It's not called that anymore. Anymore, it was the New Alhambra. Now it's the um, Twenty Three Hundred Arena. And they still have different wrestling companies and shows there. And oh, that's uh, like but, a huge um, spot. Yeah, yeah. And they um, and, Justin Gonzalez's Queen tribute show performed there. <laughs> so loud. Yeah. No, you do. And they have like this huge crowd, and, and it has this. It's a. It's a. It's an odd location. It's got a ton of parking, and if you have like a one-off thing, like it's like a. It's a weird good spot, I guess. Yeah, it's a, like a legendary thing, and and and. Um, People travel. If wrestling fans go there. It's like the mecca of like it's one of the meccas of American wrestling. Sure, is, is, uh, th- Tony Luke's. <laughs> well, so I, th- that's li- so. One time I was watching uh, Japanese wrestling at like six in the morning because that's when it's on live, right. and uh, I'm watching this, and and there's a guy. <laughs> it's better live. Front- you don't want to get spoiled. That's li- honestly, yeah. But uh, uh, um, uh, there was a guy front row. This is in Japan, somewhere in Japan. I don't know if it was Tokyo or wherever. This and I'm just like, do I am I just like hallucinating because I'm tired? This Japanese guy presumably went to 2300 Arena, traveled there for a show, and he had a Tony Luke's T-shirt <laughs> in the front row of Dude, this Japanese had a pork sandwich, and he was like, "Give me the, give me the shirt, get, give me it." Uh, but uh, I, awesome. I, I'm, I'm speculating that maybe he just loves. Tony Luke's. No, it's right there. I'm, I mean, it's like it's like you yeah, know, it's what's the best like place to eat around here? Tony Luke's, right? Yeah, there. it's around yeah. the corner from the from the the arena. You know, 
Yeah. Wow. If John's roast pork is closed. You got Tony Luke's. John's roast pork is closed by three. Yeah. You, if you're there for a <laughs> night show, Tony Luke's is open like all night, right? I mean. Yeah. And if it's if it's winter time, they got the heat lamps out. Yeah, that guy went to Tony yeah. Luke's. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, that if you're a wrestling fan, I mean, if you don't already know about ECW, I mean, it's it was it was. Uh, it was of its very of its time, but it was pretty pretty amazing. And there's some great matches and 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 stuff and and just like that's I think the legacy of it is and the fans. I mean the fans are like legendary in and of themselves. I mean the same fans would go all the time in right, the front row right. and 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 they were as much of the of the, of the as the show as the the wrestlers. Were. I'm gonna take a wild guess and say that a lot of the same fans of ECW were also fans of the Eagles, were also fans of the Flyers in those years. I'm just gonna guess. I would say so. I would say so. So it just sounds like a lot of like uh, a lot of uh, really great sports uh, fans who uh, had the opportunity to get up in it, and they did with ECW, and then they were part of the show. I guess that's the thing that blows me away the most of this is like how how they created a whole imaginary world for people to live in. That's that's just a, a, in an era really before like. Uh, augmented reality, social networking tie-ins, and things like that uh, to to propel your uh, you know performance piece to the to the next level of interactive development. These guys were just doing it like like on the street. They were just living their lives, carrying the storyline through week to week, and that's just like crazy powerful. Yeah, yeah. wrestling uh, wrestling's the best. <laughs> it's, it's pretty my fa- second after music. It's my favorite thing. Like uh, I. Yeah, I like, and this is so bare bones of like the story of ECW. Like, this is like I, we tried to fit it in an hour. We went way over that. This is a um, this is an intro course uh, to ECW. We could, like, yes, this is like we didn't even mention New Jack or the mass transit incident, or uh, uh, we don't even have time to get into. This for regular that. people, Brian. This for is just people. for yeah, yeah, <laughs> just just squares, regular squares. Oh, I don't but, call uh, squares. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, you're uh, marks. Or Mark, or marks. marks. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Bierman's the baby face of the Legends of Philadelphia podcast. That's right. I don't yeah, know. you're yeah. the, the hero. I the... don't know. I'm gonna turn heel. I'm gonna you're... I'm gonna turn heel and salt you the can't. fans later. Well, that's that's but that's when it gets good. Yeah, when the baby face turns heel, that's like that's juicy stuff. I have cried in the past couple of years because of wrestling like six times. Because of the, <laughs> because of the I'm sorry, I laughed. But you said that impact. as you knew that was going to be a no, reaction. No, it's true. No, yeah, yeah. For for both, like I went to, uh, like it it ha- it's happened at least twice already this year. So uh, I'm sure it'll happen before the year is out again. 2020. It's a it's it's gonna well, be another crier. Know. Uh, it's well, it's been, it's been, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of reasons to cry yeah. so far. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's my favorite thing. And I thank you guys for letting me do this. Cause, oh, of uh, course. thank you. Thanks for informing um, us. Thanks for, thanks, so, for, thanks for schooling us on this. Yeah. But Brian, would you say that's pretty much all there is to know about ECW or at least an intro to ECW? That's an intro, yes. Right. De- definitely intro course. If you're interested, v- visit your local library. Okay. <laughs> cool. Oh, okay. One wrestling uh, book, please. And I'm a picture of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a callback. Thank you. <laughs> check out the archives, everybody. Ten people Ten people will get that. Uh, so please check out our website, www.southfellini.com. 
Uh, that's S-O-U-T-H-F-E-L-L-I-N-I.com. And we're at South Fellini on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, check us out for cool Philly-inspired merch. Uh, while you're there, check out the visual companion for this episode where presumably we've linked out to some matches and some photos of some of the more colorful characters in ECW. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you look out for us every Monday. Stay safe, stay home, and wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Bye.